Well, good morning. Before we get into today's teaching, I am excited to announce that we are working on plans for an outdoor worship gathering. We're aiming for August 23rd, which is two weeks from today, and we are planning to gather at 8 a.m. to avoid the heat. You'll be bringing your own chairs, and we'll be social distancing across our courtyard and our parking lot, but it's going to be amazing to be able to worship together in person, and you're invited. We'll have more details next Sunday, and we do know that not everyone is ready to gather, so all online services will continue. I want to ask you to keep praying that God guides us as leaders and that he provides us all that we need as a church family to continue to love our communities in the name of Jesus. Let's get into our study of God's word. Living on a prayer is the name of our series, and each week we're digging deep into each line of the Lord's prayer, this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And today we're talking about forgiveness. And I cannot imagine a more important topic for us to study in this moment than forgiveness. There is so much conflict happening all around us right now. Our our nation is polarized with COVID conflict and racial conflict and political conflict. And there's lockdowns and remote work and job losses and kids not going to school. Those things have filled many of our families with conflict. And there's a conflict in a lot of churches over how to respond to this pandemic. And then for some of us, the topic of forgiveness is very personal. Maybe you have deep wounds in your life that go back years, or or maybe it's a fresh and recent hurt. Maybe, maybe you have been dreading this week in the Lord's Prayer because maybe last week you saw what was coming this week and, and you consider just skipping this message because you know what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 12. You've said it, you've prayed it a thousand times. Forgive us our debts. And it's like, oh no, here it comes. As we also have forgiven our debtors. You know this by heart. And you probably even know that a couple verses later, Jesus doubles down on this idea. Like in case you miss it the first time, he says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, I'm confident there is a lot of internal tension in living rooms all over Tracy Mountain House and Lathrop right now. Because whenever I teach on this subject, people come up to me or they email me and they say to me, I just can't do this. I I cannot forgive. I've tried, but I can't let go. And they ask me, does this mean that I'm not forgiven by God, that that I'm not going to heaven because I can't get over what was done to me? I'm going to answer that question in a few moments. But right now, I want us to feel the weight of Jesus' words because Jesus is telling us something heavy and important. And we must not gloss over it with easy cliches. It's clear that somehow God's forgiveness of our sins is connected to how we forgive those who sin against us. See, these are serious words that we must take seriously, and they really highlight for us why it is so crucial to learn how to live debt-free. You see, God, God wants us to live free of spiritual debts, both the debts we owe him and the debts others owe to us. And that's what Matthew 6, 12 is about. And what Jesus is telling us in this request is that prayer is necessary to face and overcome bitterness. That's why it's part of the prayer. And if you don't know it yet, you need to hear that you'll never truly deal with bitterness and resentment in your life apart from prayer. 
But I also want to say it's more than just saying the 11 words of verse 12. These words point us to enormous realities and truths. And living debt-free happens as we understand and as we apply these truths and these realities in our lives. It's so important. Living debt-free is utterly crucial. I want you to look at Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. And I want you to notice the first three words the author uses here. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and, I want you to say it with me, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now the writer here says bitterness is like a root. Like a root, bitterness can operate underground. Sometimes you don't know it's there. Like a root, it can be hard to pull out. Like a root, it can surface in surprising ways. So what is it for you? Maybe you did a business deal and a guy you partnered with claimed to be a Christian, but he stole from you. Bitterness takes root. Maybe as you were growing up, your parents had a favorite and it was not you. Bitterness takes root. Maybe as you grew up, you could never do enough for your dad or mom. Whatever you did, it was never good enough. Bitterness takes root. Maybe you're single and you feel like you deserve to be married. Maybe you're bitter at God right now. Maybe you were married and your spouse traded you in for a new model. Bitterness takes root. Maybe you've lost your job through no fault of your own. It feels like other people's decisions have wrecked your life. Bitterness takes root. Some of you were physically violated, abused as a child. You had a parent who raged on you and hurt you. Some of you have been sexually violated, and the wounds are so very, very deep. Bitterness takes root. Now, why does the author of Hebrews use such extreme language? He doesn't say, you know, if it's convenient for you, or, yeah, if you can find the time in your schedule. He says, make every effort to see that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Because dealing with bitterness is essential to living a holy life. He says without holiness, we cannot see the Lord. We, we, we cannot know his love and his peace and his joy. When we're bitter, we miss the grace of God. You see, if we don't seek to live debt-free, we'll always be stuck spiritually. And some of you know this reality. Bitterness contaminates everything. It's like the roots of a tree. They, they spread out far and wide and deep. Bitterness never stays isolated to the source of bitterness. It, it spreads to every other relationship. It causes trouble. It defiles everything. And, and bitterness is deceptive. Many of us are stuck in bitterness. We don't even realize it. I was reminded recently of something that happened a long time ago. It was actually 40 years ago, the summer of 1980, right after my first year in college. And I got a job at a Christian conference center in the Southern California mountains called Forest Home. And it wasn't a glamorous job. Most of the time, honestly, I just rode around on the back bumper of a garbage truck picking up campers' garbage. It smelled actually worse than it does here at the church sometimes. But you know what was interesting? After a while, you just stop smelling it. I learned later that this is a 
scientifically documented phenomenon called sensory adaptation. Your, your nasal receptors adjust to the stench and eventually you don't smell it. And bitterness is like that. If you allow it into your life at some point, you don't realize it's there, but it is. I would come home from that garbage detail and my mom would always make me change my clothes, leave them out in the garage, you know. And that's how it is. Everyone around you can smell it except you. What do they say? Man, why is John so critical? No one ever does anything right. Or why is Mary so ungrateful? She never says thank you. Nothing's ever good enough for her. Or maybe it's your kid. Mom, I do the littlest thing and you just flip out. You have a short fuse. Or maybe your bitterness is leading to depression and you can't see it, but other people can. An author named Shauna Nequist wrote these words. She said, A lifetime of anger is like a lifetime of hard drinking. It shows in your face and your eyes and your words, even when you think it doesn't. Bitterness left unchecked will kill you and will kill everything that's important to you. And Jesus wants you to kill it first. So how do we do this? How do we pray this request and live debt free? Well, there are four steps the Bible talks about over and over and over again. And they are so important. We must grasp them and, and live them out. And Jesus is saying that we should do these things as we pray. Here's the first step to living debt-free. Embrace God's forgiveness in the cross. Embrace God's forgiveness in the cross. Living debt-free begins with understanding our indebtedness to God. That's why Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts. You might underline us. This Greek word translated debts comes from the world of business and commerce and finance. And in the narrowest sense, it just refers to a financial debt. In a broader sense, it re refers to any moral or social obligation someone owes to someone else. And then similarly, the, the Greek word for forgive is also a financial word. It literally means to erase numbers on a business ledger or to wipe a slate clean or just to cancel something. The Bible teaches that all of us owe God our obedience. And we owe God our trust because God is good and loving and trustworthy. But we don't always obey God. We don't always trust God. And any time you distrust God by disobeying God, you incur debt. And the reality is this, apart from Christ, we all live with a massive, crushing, unpayable debt for all of our uncountable failures to trust and obey. And our debt is more than just the times that we do what we shouldn't do, whether whenever we actively disobey God, it is also all the times we don't do what we should do when we fail to do the things God commands. The book of Common Prayer includes this petition. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And when you realize our debt is both these things, not just the ways we've disobeyed God actively in our deeds, words, and thoughts, but also 
all the ways we've just not done what we've been commanded, we begin to see how enormous our debt to God truly is. And this realization does at least two things. First, it it drives us to our knees in humble repentance. It causes us to fall on God's mercy, to cry out to him in confession, seeking forgiveness. And as we receive that forgiveness, we realize more and more how good God is to be so gracious to us. Second, this realization opens us up to be merciful to others, to, to show others the same grace God has generously lavished on us. You you could put it like this. Living debt-free begins at the cross, and it never leaves the cross. And if you don't know this, here's what the Bible teaches. This is the gospel. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, and that while we were still sinners, God's enemies, Christ died for us so that we could know God's forgiveness. The Bible teaches how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. The Bible teaches that everyone who knows Christ has been forgiven an infinite debt of sin. We did not earn it. We never could. It's all because of God's great love and grace. And maybe you today, you've never experienced God's love and grace. I invite you right now to turn from your sin. That's called repentance. I invite you right now to believe that Jesus is God's son who died for your sin. And it doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is greater than your sin. He is ready to forgive you. And you can know forgiveness today if you'll just ask him. God wants to make you part of his family. And this is where forgiveness always begins. In the experience of being forgiven. You see, the bottom line of this request in the Lord's Prayer is really simple, but it's incredibly important. When you truly embrace and truly experience the cross, it changes you. And you can begin to forgive then because forgiven people forgive. Now, we still sin, so sometimes we don't forgive as we should. And we sin in this area, just like in other areas. But here's what we need to understand. Whenever we struggle with forgiving others, whenever we choose not to forgive others, at the root of that is a problem with understanding and accepting what God has done for us in Christ on the cross. In other words, it's a problem with our experience of grace. So we need to go back to the cross. You see, the Bible writers, they repeatedly connect our forgiveness of other people with God's forgiveness of our sins. And that's what Jesus is doing here when he tells us to ask God to forgive our sins in the same way we forgive those who sin against us. That's what is going on when he says that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Now, some people, they get confused about this and they wonder if if Jesus means that we have to, you know, like earn our forgiveness from God by forgiving other people. But it's not that. Jesus is just saying that forgiven people forgive, that that people who know grace, who know what it means to be forgiven, they can then offer that grace to others. But, But people who refuse to show grace, who willfully choose not to forgive, they are demonstrating that they may not know God's grace in their own lives. You see, the first step to forgiving others is always, always to go back to the foot of the cross, 
to remind yourself of how God has forgiven you. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. He took the punishment you deserve so that you could have his righteousness. He paid your infinite debt of sin to a holy God, a debt you could never pay. And he keeps on forgiving, doesn't he? Every day we stumble, and sometimes we sin willfully, defiantly. But every time we repent and confess our sins, God forgives us. And forgiving others is just giving them what God has given you. And here's the thing, friend. If you won't do that, that means somehow you're not getting God's grace to you. When you are angry and bitter, when you don't want to forgive, you need to remember the cross. It's why Paul writes these words in Colossians 3. He says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Embrace God's forgiveness in the cross. And when you feel angry and bitter again, when it comes back, when you just don't think you can ever let go, you just keep going back to the cross. You just keep thanking God for your forgiveness. You just keep remembering his grace because forgiven people forgive. Step two, you release your right to revenge. Not too long ago, I heard a man who's close to my age share a personal story. When he was nine years old, he was sexually molested by a piano teacher. And he told adults what had happened, but all they did was move him on to a new piano teacher. It was a pretty common response back then. And he says for decades he had these elaborate revenge fantasies. He said he would, he would dream of violently beating this man for what he did. But he actually had no idea who idea who he was. He he was too young to remember the name, and he couldn't find him. It wasn't possible. And he said to this day, he doesn't remember the name. So there's, there's no possible way to find closure or justice. So how do you move on from that? What do you do with that kind of debt? Well, in Romans 12, 19, Paul says, you must release your right to revenge. Listen to these words. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This man says he still remembers the freeway he was driving on when he started imagining again, violently beating that man. And suddenly he said he sensed God's voice and two words came to his mind. That's enough. He felt like God was saying to him, that's enough. That God was saying to him, you've tried this long enough. Now give it to me. And he said in that moment, he was pounding on his dashboard saying, no, 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 I can't, I won't. He doesn't deserve it. He deserves retribution. And he said it was like God said to him, I know. Now you give it to me. I can take care of this better than you. And he said, finally, he relented. He he released his right to revenge. And he he said a feeling of release washed over him. He said he had never realized how much weight he'd been carrying all those years until it was gone. Now, not everyone has violent revenge fantasies. But maybe you're doing what we're talking about here through other means. 
Maybe you're taking your revenge through gossip, tearing down someone's reputation. Or maybe with you, it's just passive aggressive behavior. You make their life miserable. Or or maybe it's just revenge fantasies you never act on. You just imagine them in your life. That's all covered in this verse. You release your right to revenge. And it it means, in the words of the Lord's Prayer, that you just canceled their debt to you. Maybe you know this story in Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now to answer Peter, Jesus tells a story. There was this king whose servant owed him a fortune. It was astronomical debt. And when the time came to repay, he had to say, Master, I don't have it. I don't know what to do. Can you give me more time? And it's an amazing story. You have to check this out. The king had mercy on him, and he just canceled this massive debt. He just wrote it off. It was gone. But the servant... The servant who's just been forgiven this incredible debt, he, he goes out and as he's leaving, he sees another servant who owed him like 20 bucks, just a tiny fraction of what he'd been forgiven. And stunningly, he demands immediate payment. And when this guy doesn't have it, he has this fellow servant thrown into prison. Now, all of this gets back to the king and the king is livid. And in this story Jesus tells, I want you to feel the intensity in the king's anger. Listen to what he says. This is Matthew 18, verses 32 through 35. He says, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now watch this. Jesus ends this story with this sentence. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Each one of us. Do you know one of the reasons why you should forgive? It's really simply this, for your own good. Bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness always does more damage in our hearts than it does to the people we hate. Have you figured that out yet? Can I just ask you if you'll let it go? Can I just encourage you to cancel the debt? I want you to write this thought down in your notes. To cancel a debt is to lay down your claim to revenge and blame forever. You see, when you cancel their debt, they now owe you nothing. And that is a hard thought for what some of you have walked through. Now, I don't have time to fully address all of the issues surrounding forgiveness today. And we need to admit that forgiveness can be very complicated. But I want to give you some things, actually seven things, that forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not pretending they didn't hurt you. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. It was evil. Be honest about that. And that means, second, forgiveness is not excusing or condoning what someone has done. Third, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. You know, we've all heard that phrase, forgive and forget, but 
That's impossible. Human beings cannot forget a real deep hurt. But there is something. There is something better than forgiving and forgetting. It's forgiving and remembering and watching how God is bringing something good out of that hurt. And then next, forgiveness is not bypassing justice. If you forgive someone who has legally or criminally hurt you, that doesn't mean they should not suffer the consequences of their actions. Next, forgiveness is not conditional. Jesus tells us to forgive whether someone asks for it or not. They can't earn it. They don't deserve it. You just give it. That's why it's called forgiveness. And if you find yourself thinking, I will forgive them when, well, that's not forgiveness. Six, forgiveness is not the same as trust. As I just said, forgiveness is unearned, but trust is earned. Like if you steal from me, I can forgive you, but it doesn't mean I'm going to let you hang around my stuff. Forgiveness may be part of rebuilding trust, but that's up to them. They need to respond. They need to begin to be trustworthy. And then last, forgiveness doesn't always even mean reconciling. Because sometimes there are people who will never reconcile with you. They may never admit the wrong they've done to you. And sometimes that person who has wronged you, they are so toxic, you cannot remain around them or they will poison and destroy your life. But you can still forgive them. You see, living debt-free calls us to release our right to revenge. And that's hard. But if you have a little more courage, and I'm telling you, this is where it gets really hard. Here is a third step. You bless the person who hurt you. You ever been around a kid who, when you told him something he didn't want to hear, he put his fingers in his ears and start saying, blah, 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 I can't hear you. You know, some of you are kind of probably doing that right now. I mean, you really are. You're, you're thinking, it's just too hard, Mike. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to think about that person. And Jesus knows we do that. Check this out. This is Luke 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, But I tell you who hear me, in other words, those of you who have the courage to take your fingers out of your emotional ears, if you want to be free, you've got to listen. What does Jesus say then we are to do? He says, love your who? Why don't you say it out loud where you are? We're going to love our, our enemies. Do good to who? Those who hate you. Jesus says, bless those who what? Who curse you. And he says, pray for not just our kids and not just our pastors, but you pray for those who mistreat you. Now, this word bless is the Greek word eulogeo. It literally means to speak a good word, to speak well. We, we get the word eulogy from this word. And you know this, at a funeral, we, we eulogize someone's life. We speak well of them. I love this old story of two brothers who, who terrorized a small town. They got rich by cheating and stealing, and everybody hated them, but no one could do anything. And finally, one of them dies. And the other one went to the town's pastor and said to him, Pastor, I need to talk to you. My brother died, and I need you to bury him. I need you to say good things about him at his funeral. In fact, I will give $1 million to your church if you will say that my brother was a godly man full of integrity, and that everyone respected and loved him. 
the pastor said, done. And he wrote him the check. And the funeral came and the pastor got on the stage and he spoke and he said, today, my friends, we bury a man who is more than likely burning in hell right now. He was a rotten man, a low-down, no-good, backstabbing cheat. But compared to his brother sitting right there on the front row, he was a godly man, full of integrity, and everyone loved and respected him. (laughs) That person with whom we have a root of bitterness may very well be just that, evil. But Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Again, God's word recognizes evil. There's no denial here. They they may have totally betrayed you and abused you. You may have trusted and loved them, and that's what they gave you in return. And you may be thinking, are you saying that Jesus is calling me to literally eulogize them, to literally speak well of them? I am. And you're asking, how is it even possible Well, it may not seem possible now, but I want to encourage you with this. Forgiveness, especially of deep wounds, is almost always a process. And that leads us to step four. And step four is this. Repeat steps one through three as necessary. You you keep doing the steps. Every time you remember how someone hurt you and the pain comes back, you remember the cross You release your right to revenge again and you choose to cancel the debt again and you bless them again and you do this over and over and over and over again. You know, at the beginning of that story we talked about in Matthew 18, again it says this. Look at verses 21 and 22 once more. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So how many times do we need to forgive those who've hurt us? Jesus says, how about 490 times? And what Jesus is really saying here is stop keeping score. Stop counting. Just forgive But I also think that one of the reasons Jesus said that is that it may take 490 times to forgive the same person for the same thing. It may take 490 times to really work through the process. Forgiveness often takes repetition. And I know for me in my life, even when I've had breakthroughs in forgiveness with someone for something, many times I've later needed to say no again. To resentment, to say no again to bitterness. And I've had to do that over and over again. It's a process. But I'm going to say something kind of obvious. You need to start with the first time before you get to 490, right? There's another passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke, it's chapter 17, it's verses 3. Through five, And we have this account, a similar account, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about forgiving. And it, it contains another prayer you may need to pray along the way of canceling the debts that you hold against others. Look at these words, beginning in verse 3. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And listen to what the disciples say. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus' disciples said, we need more faith to forgive like that. And you probably do too. And I know I do. So pray for faith as you're seeking to live debt-free. Pray for faith as you embrace God's forgiveness in the cross. Pray for faith as you release your right to revenge. Pray for faith to bless those who hurt you. And you do those things and you keep forgiving just as God keeps forgiving you. Do it seven times. Do it 70 times. Do it 70 times seven if that's what it takes. Because... It is that important. Now, maybe you get all of this. You understand everything I've said. You understand what the Bible teaches, and you even agree with it in your head. But the truth is, your heart is saying, no. No, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm helpless to forgive. And it's like I'm in a prison, and I just cannot help rehearsing my hurts in my heart. What will I do? It's like what Paul says in Romans, who will release me from this bondage to the flesh? Then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I just want to tell you, if you find yourself in a place you cannot pull yourself out of, then you have found yourself in a place of grace. It's okay that you cannot do it yourself. Turn your eyes to the heavens from where your help comes. And God, who has raised you from death to life, who has forgiven you of every sin you've ever committed, who has broken the chains of sin in your life once and for all, God will empower you to forgive and to cancel the debts that people owe to you. And it may not be overnight, and it will not come without a fight. You'll stumble back into places of unforgiveness. You'll batter battle, bitterness. You'll wrestle with resentment. It's okay. God will carry you through. And it may be for you a daily, even an hourly sometimes, coming to God and praying and and saying, God, forgive me of how I've sinned against you. You're confessing your own sin. And then praying, God, help me to forgive others just as you have forgiven me. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God wants you to live debt-free. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he gave his only son as a sacrifice for sin. He loves you. If you've given your life to him, you are his beloved son or daughter, and he will do whatever it takes, whatever you need as you live out God's word. Will you forgive the debts others owe you? as God in Christ has forgiven the debts that you owe him. Will you join me as we pray together? Please bow your heads. Father, we ask you to forgive us our debts. And Lord, we know we need your forgiveness. Would you even in this moment show us our sin and strengthen us to confess, cleanse us today, now, Father. And Father, help us to forgive the debts that others owe us. 
many of us know we, we need to forgive. And even now we're, we're dealing with issues maybe that we've lacked the courage to address. Father, I ask you for the courage in our lives to face this root of bitterness and to pull it out and to kill it in our lives. And Lord, maybe some of us today have become aware in new ways that we're bitter and there's some things we haven't let go. And maybe when we think about it, we tense up and it clouds our emotions. And maybe we're bitter with someone else, Lord, and maybe we're bitter with you because you've allowed some circumstances in and around our lives. And Lord, if this is us, Lord, I am praying right now for all of us who are hearing that we would be willing and able to take a step and to pray, God, give me the courage to deal with this in my life, to cancel the debt and let it go, to bless the one who's hurt me. Lord, this is what we're praying right now. And I want to ask you, as your head remains bowed and you're in prayer before the Lord, would you take these steps in prayer right now? In your own words, I want you to pray and just first of all, thank God again for the cross. Remember the indescribable gift God has given you in his son, Jesus. And then as you pray, would you, would you cancel that person's debt before God? Just, just release them. They don't owe you anything. And just say that to God. Just just say, Father, I forgive them for what they did to me. And I want to encourage you to pray this, even if you don't feel it, even if you're not sure you mean it. You you pray it in faith. And you may have to do this tomorrow and the next day. It's a process. But would you just begin today? Take that first step. Just cancel their debt. Just let them go. And now as you continue praying, I want you to do what will be hard. I want you to bless them. I want you to literally pray to God and ask for blessings in that person's life. Just eulogize them in prayer. Just do that in your heart. Pray good things for them. Pray, God, we want you to to show them your love. We pray, Lord, that they would know your grace, that they would have your heart and that you would have theirs. And just pray. And Lord, now, even now, I pray. And Lord, I just want to thank you for the courage and the tears that are happening in in living rooms all across Tracy Mountain House and Lathrop. Lord, even all across our nation as those are listening. And God, I thank you that, that you will set prisoners free from the bondage of bitterness. Lord, give us the courage to, to release our rights to revenge daily, to not let a root of bitterness grow in our hearts. Lord, we're asking you for this. You know, as we're continuing to pray, I have to believe there are some of you listening who have maybe wrestled with this for years, if not a lifetime. And I want to ask you this question. Just ask yourself this question. Are you forgiven? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking even if you believe in God. I am asking you, is every day of your life marked with the reality that you have been completely forgiven? Because if it's not, you, you cannot give away what you yourself do not have. You have to know the grace of God before you can pass it on to someone else. 
And I want to tell you again, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to cancel your debt, to cancel a debt you could never pay. And all you must do is repent of your sin before a holy God. All you must do is believe in your heart that Jesus is God's son and that he died for your sins. And if you need to, will you say in prayer, even right now, Jesus, I receive the forgiveness of my sin from you. I give you my life. I will live for you from this day on. Will you receive God's forgiveness today? And then will you pass that forgiveness on? Get a fresh start today. And I want to encourage you, if this is you that I've been talking to, and if you have placed your trust in Christ today, will you tell someone you know as soon as you can? And would you email me so that I can rejoice with you? You know, there are steps we can help you take as you begin your faith journey. And I'm asking you, please allow us this privilege. We're going to conclude our time together as we have each week of this series. I want us to pray the words of the prayer that Jesus gave us together. So would you join me in praying out loud, wherever you are in this moment, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people everywhere said, Amen. Would you live in God's freedom this week? That's what I'm praying for for you. I'll see you next Sunday.